Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Book Lounge. Today, we are talking about *The Power of Habit* by Charles Duhigg. Your hosts, as always, are myself, Corinne Ritchie, and me, Tom Butler Bowden.、Um, and as you know by now, we take a great nonfiction book from past or present, and we dissect it and discuss it、um, with our guests.、Um, and all the books that we cover to advance your work or your life in some way,、um, or just to make you think. Um, and as Book Insights curator, I'll give my take on the book and why I think it's still、uh, relevant and worth reading or listening to. Yeah, and I will also chime in about the book and update you on the latest news about the. Title and the author,、um, but for the most in-depth knowledge about this book, we recommend two things. One, the podcast is brought to you by Memoed, so be sure to check out the savable, shareable ten-point memo about this book. You will find a link to it in the show notes. And two, we recommend listening to our full Book Insights episode about this book. That's going to be a more detailed summary, overview, analysis. But here in the Book Lounge, it's more of just an informal chat about this book of the week. Mm-hmm.、Um, and the book of the week is the power of habit,、uh, which is a book about the science of habits.、Uh, so it's not just sort of old school nuggets of wisdom. It's based on all the research that's happened really in the last thirty、um, years about how to rewire your brain、um, and to make uh, changes uh, to your mental and physical habits、um, something that that actually lasts. That's right. And so, to explore this book with us, we are bringing on a guest who is a serial author, influencer, and entrepreneur.、Um, he's also the host of the Psychology Podcast, which is all about the psychology of success. So, he is a great person to chat with us、uh, about、uh, chat about this book with us. So, please welcome Daniel Kareem. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you for being here.、Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel, just before we sort of get into the book.、Um, I mean, I know you've you've read tons of、uh, works of psychology and so on, but、um, what can you remember? What actually led you to to read the Power of Habit?、Um, how it came up onto your radar? Yeah, it was sort of a habit formation. I didn't pick it by by choice. It sort of came to me. I first started to read about habits at a very young age when I was eleven years old. My father had a severe Gambling disorder, and it was tearing my family apart. And my way to cope with it was to go straight to the library when I was 11 years old, and I、uh, read books from Skinner, from Pavlov, from Frankel, from Freud, in order to learn why people do what they do. So, even though I'm at a fairly young age, I'm turning 33、um, next month. I have like 20 years of experience in the field, and I even. Recently,、uh, collected like my t- top hundred favorite habit books from the field and made them as a giveaway available on my blog. So I'm happy to share these with anybody who wants to knock themselves out with behavior psychology books. That's great. We'll be sure to、uh, put a link to your blog in the show notes as well. Yeah, that's amazing.、Um, I mean, it's、uh, habits are something that you know. It's one of those things that are very interesting in terms of the theory and the research and so on, but as we're all a bundle of habits, as William James said,、uh, this is something that we can constantly test this research on ourselves and observe it in other people and so on.、Um, and Daniel, you mentioned、uh, gambling, but、uh, in the book there's a fair amount about、um, alcoholism as well, 
um, other drugs, AA, etc. Um, and um, I guess um, is it worth just starting with uh, probably um, a central thing in the book, which is how um, habits actually work. Um, it's like a it's like a three step process. Um, does anyone want to sort of elaborate on that a bit more? Um, well, one of the things that was interesting to me at such an early age is that I had a, a pretty emotional case study in front of me because I had something that I was deeply interested in, in was the behavior of my father. And I still remember as it was yesterday, see, my father's a very strong man. Like he's an ex, um, commando from, from the Lebanese army, toughest guy you can ever meet. Like he doesn't need a lot of sleep. And to see my father sitting in front of this machine, and having that machine, like, get the best of him was something very strange to me because it, it showed me, like, okay, there are machines and, and tactics in the world that can even break the strongest man. And that was deeply fascinating to me. And through this case study, I learned a lot about the things that also Charles Duhigg in this book addresses. There's a trigger, there's a motivation for behavior. And for my father, for example, it was the idea that he can instantly better our situation through gambling. So it was the idea that this machine was selling hope. So there, at a very early age, I understood like, okay, there's a, what Duhe calls the, um, the habit loop, right? Like there's a trigger, like an emotional distress, like, oh boy, I'm not happy at home. There's a routine. I will go to this particular place in order to feel better. And there's the, the motivation at the end of it. I have a temporary, holiday from being the person that I am and I have like um, a delay of punishment so to say so at a very early age I saw that and was like oh that's like even though it was terrible it was so interesting to, interesting to me and I thought about this way more than I than I realized at that moment from that moment on I wherever I went I was fascinated how behavior formation really makes the world go around so Maybe I have a question right back at you guys. Like, what was your first experience with the idea that maybe habit formation and behavior architecture um, is something that is that is more than just something that is interesting to psychologists or therapists or, in that case, people who design gam gambling machines? Mm. Yeah, that you know, the the interesting thing that I like about this book is that um, it. it it's not necessarily meant to be a motivational book necessarily like that's not its aim but i find it really motivating because it's it's essentially saying you can do anything as long as you make it a habit and here's how to do it here's the science here's the neurology here's how to wire your brain to do whatever it is that you want to do and i feel like so many of us can kind of hide behind oh that's just not me i'm not into it i'm not good at it or you know you can look at things as like oh it's too hard or i'm just not you know that type of person but uh, this book is saying no whatever goal you have you can do it you just have to do the the three elements that Duhigg lays out which are the cue the routine and the reward so just like you mentioned daniel figuring out what is the cue that can trigger sort of you doing whatever it is that you're trying to sort of aim for and then make it a routine and then reward yourself for it so that's that's kind of the the real life application that i see for it is it's almost unlimited really whatever it is that you pick you can use those elements to weave it into your life so mm. 
Yeah, I think uh, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I, my personal thing about the power of this book is sort of similar, um, that it's not obviously a motivational book. I think I read it when I was reading like tons of motivational books. And this one stood out because um, it wasn't sort of promising the world or anything. Because I think a lot of motivational books are all about goals and goal setting, which is great. You know, something that's like pulling you towards uh, a future that you're imagining. But it's really how do you get there? And it may be the case that you have to get rid of a lot of bad habits um, before you can do anything positive, for instance, that are holding you back. Um, so for me, this book was sort of like a missing link um, about how to how to um, become someone who achieves stuff, who who is not continually tripping your own self up um, through having all these habits that are not productive um, or useful for you. Mm. Yeah, do it. So, Daniel, now I want to know the end of your story. Um, so, with your dad, was he able to find it, kind of crack that code of cue, routine, reward? Um, was he able to kind of break that habit loop with the gambling? Well, it's. I don't want to be too critical of Charles Duhigg, but behavior is don't understand everything there is about behavior because it's it, it it's much deeper. We are much more than stimulus response machines so the first thing that you have to do when there is an addiction an addictive behavior is to help that particular individual to architect the life around them from they which they don't need to escape from anymore where it becomes bearable again it's not just a habit it's a symptom of a cluster of behaviors it's a symptom of that particular environment around that person isn't uh, bringing out the best in that particular individual, and it's also goes even deeper than that. It, it, you have you have to work with the person in order to like personalize that particular behavior pattern of that, and auto, almost like treat it as if it's a personality, right? Like there's a certain aspect of you manifesting itself in reality. And it took us as a family like like years in order to to change that, but he 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 nailed it down. But it was very interesting to me to understand. And Duhigg speaks a lot about gambling machines, actually. And he calls it in a book, for example, the uh, our iPhone. The, the things that I use right now to record our podcast is, is a great, great case study that we can use in order to explain Charles, Charles Duhigg's um, habit loop, right? It's like we have, for example, Instagram. We get a notification like, hey, like somebody liked your picture. And you open it, so you, that's the routine, and you always have a reward because you got that dopamine kick of, I am connected with anybody. What Skinner discovered, one of the persons that the Duhigg also dis, uh, talked about, is Skinner had this, 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 this Skinner box where he put pigeons in a box, and he taught those pigeons how to put a lever, and sometimes there would come some corn out of it, like, like a reward, basically. And what Skinner discovered was that if there is an unpredictable um, reward strategy that those little birds like they went crazy and they picked the lever like crazy so one of the things that i always like is that when you have your phone in your hand you realize i'm supposed to write this essay but i just checked instagram for 48 times in an hour is to pick up that little <laughs> pigeon and say oh shit like i have a skinner box in my hand i'm actually behaving like the person i need to redesign my environment and that's something that i learned mm -hmm. from my father at an early age because we have these bugs in our psychology that 
certain people know how to exploit. The gambling industry is really good at that. Tobacco is really good at that. Alcoholism is mm -hmm. really good at that. And, and social media, of course, is also really good. Everything that is connected to deep human desires, where they have the ability to trigger us on a permanent basis while giving us precisely the word that we are craving so very much for. Mm. Yeah, um, there's something very sort of mechanical and scientific about this process, about the trigger, the cue, the reward, etc. Um, and yet, as you said, we're not just, you know, stimulus response machines. Um, and I was struck by something in the book when he's comparing um, uh, the science of habit to the, um, the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, he says, um, sorry, he says that um, all the 12 steps um, are sort of loosely related to all the stuff that he's studying about in the science of habit. And one of the things, though, that is in the 12-step program is reliance on a higher power. And it's like, okay, you can have the whole science of, of cue and reward, but there has to be something bigger where the person feels like they are moving towards. There's something, um, there's something sort of uh, metaphysical uh, involved here that's bigger than just, you know, like a rabbit, a, a mouse in a maze or something. So um, I was wondering, you know, if you also picked up on that in the book and, and what your thoughts were on that point. I had an interesting discussion on Instagram with Andrew Huberman recently, and he he studied a lot of, of, of pleasure and he was focusing on that. And I asked him, like, if it wouldn't make more sense to find a metrics that measures meaning. Meaning is something that's much more profound and deeper, deeper than pleasure. And it's, it's just it's a very superficial way to assume that people's primary motivation for acting is is getting that instant dopamine kick. Because it's for thousands of years, we, we have discussed that there is something deeper beyond us, like Socrates talked about this. And we talked about it on a podcast about this, right? It's the idea of the, the Socratic demon that we all have that conscience that tells us like what to do and what not to do. And one of the things that Duhigg and, and even like people like, like James Clear and BJ Falk, like the other pioneers in the field are not integrating at all is the idea is that, um, it's much better to use old models from Freud and from Jung in order to describe behaviors. Because one of the things that Freud, for example, discovered was the idea that we are not the masters in our own house. There are spirits within us, the dwellers, that make us either sick or healthy. And one of the things that I learned, and I have been an alcoholic and had like a cocaine problem in the past, that helped me to move uh, away from those addictive patterns was to treat my addictive clusters of behaviors as if there were personalities who can be triggered in certain uh, activities, right? And if you have that, it's, it's it's not just one habit. It's It's like really like an autonomous entity that resides within you that you have to cage and build a build something around it in order to keep that at bay it's not just one habit it's just it's, it's much better to think of yourself as a house and some of the inhabitants of that house they don't have good intention and it's your job as the as the leader of that house to architect um constraints for those those parts of you who aren't uh, acting in your best interest if, if that makes any sense yeah that is totally fascinating um, it is. Yeah, because I think one one thing about this book is that 
it um, assumes that there is one unitary self. Um, I don't think it goes into any sort of like metaphysical questions about the self and are we many, are there many aspects, many selves, etc. Is there a higher self and so on. Uh, so, yeah, at, at a certain level, this book is incredibly useful. It's a great book. Um, in, in understanding, and it was also um, really one of the first popular psychology books to talk about this stuff. Um, I mean, now it's like you see it everywhere. I can't remember what year this, this one came out, but um, it, he did sort of encapsulate the research uh, up until that point um, and then put it in this very enjoyable format. Uh, with lots of interesting um, anecdotes and, and examples. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, this very book valuable. came out, it came out in 2012. Okay. Oh, yeah, so well, that's not years. that long ago. I thought it was older, to be honest. Like, I thought it was 90s or something. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. No. <gasps> yeah. Well, that's great. It shows you how recent it all is in, in the popular mindset and how long it, it took us to really understand Habits. I mean, there was probably stuff in the scientific journals long before that, but um, I mean, that's the that's the power of pop psychology, I guess. <clears throat> um, uh, one thing I want to look at was um, I thought was interesting was okay if we have bundles of habits, but then the question is, you know, why are we like that? And Duhigg says that the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. So for us, like backing out of a driveway in a car, joining the traffic, getting to work, it's, we just do it all almost automatically. Whereas if you get, um, you know, a robot or self-driving technology to do that, billions and billions of dollars have been poured into it and they still haven't really cracked it yet. So it's, it's sort of like what we take for granted in terms of habits is actually incredibly intricate and complex. Um, and that's good because it means we don't have to keep relearning tasks every day. And you see people who've had brain injuries they, when they do have to learn everything. It's so hard. Um, but it's bad in that if we're trying to get rid of a habit, it's incredibly difficult often um and uh yeah i mean uh, back to the the sort of aa thing um one of the things i found fascinating also was the the whole camaraderie element of it um so that the sort of buzz of like the friday night drinking is replaced by going to the center every week and a certain time a friday night or whatever and you're, you're replacing the buzz of the, of the alcohol with the buzz of, of friendship and so on. Um, I wonder if you picked up on that, Daniel, and if, if that rang true for you. Yeah, I had a very interesting, I had a fight once with BJ Falk about that <laughs> because, <it's, laughs> because I, I, I picked up on precisely that because one of the things that was crucial for me in overcoming my alcoholism was to understand why I was doing that. Like, what is the human need of mine that isn't being satisfied? And for me, it was, um, 
I'm an extremely creative person and an adventurer. And for me, like, I love talking to people. What I do to, this just doesn't feel like work to me. It's like, I love learning. I love meeting new people. To me, like, spending, like, 15 hours in a row rooming around the nights and talking to hundreds of people was extremely attractive to me. So one of the things that I needed was, like, an alternate system that could... Uh, tap into that motivational system of mine without making my life a mess. So one of the things that I said, like, okay, what other behaviors could potentially give me the same benefits? And for me, it was like, I love traveling. I love taking pictures of people. So I started traveling around the world and collected stories and had like the same stimulus, but I had no hangover afterwards. And this is what Charles Duhigg in his book uh, brilliantly describes as the golden rule of habit change, I feel. It's where you, you have the trigger, like on Friday night, usually this is my goal sign, Time to call my friends. Kick it. Let's let's order some alcohol. And um, the, the routine is going out. And afterwards, I have the, the reward of um, connection and adventure and admiration, all of that. I could switch that basically for booking a flight somewhere and having an adventure that is good for the best of me, basically. And that's something that I always look at my clients when I help them to change their behavior. See, like, okay, okay, okay. Before we... we, we shame you out of existence let's see what you need let's 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 investigate like what does this habit teach us about the things that you would like to do and want us to do and then we can maybe change it so that's a brilliant point that you picked on there is also see like what's the motivation what do you need can we get that you mm. to you in another way Mm, yeah, that's such a great point. And I feel like it's easy to miss when you see someone that's struggling with addiction, you assume that what they want is whatever their substance of choice is. They want the alcohol, they want the drug, what they want, whatever it is. But as you mentioned, it's so much deeper than that. They are using that to fulfill a deeper need. And so that's where you start is what is that deeper need? And then you can get into, as Duhigg said, replacing the habit. So rather than this cold turkey method of just cut it off and stop it and shame and that kind of stuff, rather it's meet the need and switch, just like you brilliantly pointed out, Daniel, that you switched the uh, the alcohol portion for another way of getting what you really wanted, that deeper need of connection and adventure and all of that, which that's great. And I feel like that's really empowering for those uh, watching on YouTube or listening to our podcast to know that um, you, know, you can do that. You can take a habit you don't like and switch it into something that's productive and something that that you do like yeah and i would, I would like to add like that it's, it's not only interest in, important to say like what is the habit that i want to get rid of but who is the the, the architect behind that habit what part of you is active mm. in those certain settings because one of the brilliant mm. notions of carl jung for example was the idea that uh, condemnation oppresses and integration liberates is the idea that like, that's a part of you and like if you attempt to kill that aspect of yourself like that's a form of self-mutilation for me like being an adventurer i'm an adventurer the idea that i just not entertain those kind of activities anymore would be a form of self-betrayal in my form so it's not good just to cut off that part and kick out that inhabitant of my house but rather see like, okay, hey, here you're ruining my life. Like, let's find a setting for you in which you can actually get some screen time, like roam wild without making a mess for, for everybody else. So it's like, with my clients, it's very interesting. I, I give them, for example, the idea that they can name those modes of beings. And it's like, like, mm. like give them a name. It's like, when does he come out? What does he do? Who mm. likes to have he around us? Like, who is around mm. you when you have, when the worst of you manifests itself? And then we can mm. redesign your environment say like, okay, it's like how much of that person within you can we tolerate in order to not fuck up your life? 
in those things. And then we can have a good <laughs> negotiation in order to um, act in interest of everything that is that is within that house of yours, if that makes any sense to you. That makes total sense. So I'm usually Corinne, but after a few shots, I become Karasha. And we have to avoid Karasha. We are, those days are over. Karasha is banned. She is locked in a closet. We will not let her out. Yeah, for me, it's Jackus. I one time wrote an article. It's, it's called, like, um, What Are You and How Many? And I wrote about, like, many adventures mm -hmm. that I had, like, where where that entity within me manifested in so in, in, in in many of my adventures and got me into so much trouble. So right now there have to be different settings for that part of me so that I'm not uh, waking up and have to apologize to them people because I acted a fool again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, I mean, w this, this is amusing, but I imagine like, I mean, a lot of people in the throes of addiction are just so hard on themselves. Um, if you're not able to get beyond a certain point, um, you know, it's just like the, the the sense of shame. I guess sometimes must be horrific. Um, so I think what we're just talking about now, I think, could be transformative for many people to uh, to sort of encompass all aspects of yourself. That that really makes sense, and I think it's something missing from the book. Give you a case study um, here, Tom. It's I had recently had a client, and he had one alcoholic personality with him that was ruining his life. But he has also like a tyrant within himself with a whip. And I remember a beautiful scene where we, one of his homeworks was to write like a screenplay where like the, the maniac within him and like the tyrannical, uh, self-optimizational person had to have a conversation in order to negotiate like how they were doing this. And that was very interesting where when, when we personalize emotional systems, we can end like that state of civil war and, and reach like a level of peace and forgiveness for ourselves again. And this is where Duhik is really great because he he takes the shame out of the equation and says like we are crazy creatures and most of the things we do we don't even understand. And it's it's not just us who makes us do things. And it's it, it was liberating to me. I feel. Mm. Yeah. Um, and one aspect we haven't talked about is a fair amount in the book about um <clears throat> uh eating and food and stuff um and it's interesting like he reckons that fast food restaurants they always have these sort of very set colors and decoration and so on which is meant to act as a trigger so as soon as you see the big m or yeah. walk in and everything's red and yellow that's your trigger and it's pretty hard to just keep driving or <laughs> walk to a healthy restaurant or something. Um, and, you know, capitalism is what it is. Uh, it's the this trigger cue reward thing has been endlessly um, sort of exploited um, for making money, uh, which is fine. But um, I guess the more we're aware of it, um, the more able we are to sort of understand the tricks and um, try, you know, try to avoid uh, situations like that um, and serve ourselves more. 
Yeah. That's right. Yeah, we talked a lot about like the internal motivations, but I really like this book、uh, when they talk about the external motivations towards addiction and habit and routine, where companies are trying to capitalize on the, that inner nature that we have and that routine building that we have. So they know and they study the psychology to ensure that their product or service is triggering all of those little you know neurons to ensure that we're not just buying their product or service once. We are making it. Part of our routine,、yeah. part of our habit. It's you know that that habitual part.、Um, what are your thoughts on that? On the、uh, like sort of the commercial part of habits, Daniel? Well, I'm I'm not only a serial author. I'm also the CEO of what's called the Behavior University. It's it's an online platform where people from all over the world come over in order to learn how to change. And I've been studying behavior for so long, and I'm using every trick in the book in order to. Make people like long-term users of that platform have triggers in the morning, motivation afterwards. Because if if you are, for example, I just created a John Link technology, and the idea behind it is, is you lock in in the morning, you have like something that betters your life, you get motivation by the end. And we, I sort of like train people to have these these habits, so that it becomes habitualized to use use my services. The the giants in the tech world are masters at that. Like when you when you look at Um, a great formula for making a successful product is you take a need of human being and you reduce the cost for it. For example, Tinder. Tinder is a, is a, from a behavior standpoint, a brilliant, brilliant invention that changed the world and that made them billions of dollars. Because you had something that was very painful, like for example, me talking to a girl. If I'm getting getting rejected, that's the worst form of rejection I can get. The, the girl basically says like. You okay, but I don't want your genes to propagate into the future. That's that's like a terrifying blow for me. On <laughs> Tinder, <laughs> on Tinder, I don't see any of the rejections. All I see is the reward for it. So they they are triggering me. They are using the what I talked earlier with my father, the variable reinforcement strategy. The triggers in my phone. I have no i no no chance to. Uh, delete that trigger of my phone completely, and the motivation for it is like the survival of my gene. So it's unbelievable powerful, and it's it's、um, we have become a little bit too good at pushing our own buttons, and we need to educate people about the anatomy of habits so that we can do things that are good for the right parts of us. Because without having like a driver's license on how to conduct ourselves properly in the world. We are defenseless to to all these people who know how we work so much better than ourselves. Absolutely, yeah. We definitely see that with smartphones, and、um, you know, there's so many different papers coming out, especially about Facebook in particular, and how they studied and have all this, you know, documentation on the brain and how to ensure that their the phone is pinging you at, at every single time you stop using it for a certain amount of time, so that it's constantly、um, triggering you to say, no, you need to be back in Facebook, you need to be back in Facebook, and you need to, you know, just sort of、uh, herding you back to the Their product as often as possible, so that you just sort of live there,、uh, and that that's kind of the goal.、Um, I also liked the book's、uh, example about the toothpaste. I thought that was a really you know, interesting oh, that one. Oh, was great case study. I love that. It's、yeah. so good. Yeah, 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 such a great case study where people couldn't be convinced to use toothpaste because、yeah. at the time a toothbrush was enough, and to this day a toothbrush is enough. Like that, if we're in general. But you know, they thought, how do we sell this product? And they 
tapped into that whole cue routine thing. And it was, if you can feel this film on your teeth, that is the cue that you need toothpaste. And uh, even though, you know, it can be taken off with a brush, you don't actually need any product. But the, you know, the toothpaste company capitalized on that. You, you feel that film, that means you need toothpaste. And suddenly it's flying off the shelves. Just really mm. interesting. And the tingling and the mm. mint part of it too mm. are totally unnecessary. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but unless we've had that, we don't feel like we've completed the whole ritual. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other one is uh, he talked about is the Febreze cleaning mm. research that was done, that everyone hates cleaning the house. But if they built into the Febreze spray a really nice smell uh, or scent, um, that we'd be more willing to do the cleaning as long as we that scent at the end was like the reward. Mm. Um, and then so sales shot up um, because of this this uh, thing that they almost stumbled upon, I think, by trial and error. That's right. Well, and uh, Febreze also kind of coined the phrase nose blind, which is totally just them trying to capitalize on that same thing where people did never felt a film on their teeth before until the company said, no, feel that that's important. That's a thing that you need to get rid of. Same with Febreze. They have not, like they have commercials that talk about you have gone nose blind, meaning you don't need our product. You have not ever thought your house smelled bad. And the reason is because you've gone nose blind. You have no idea how bad your house smells. And so that is the cue is there is no cue. You just need to know that this is a problem with you and you need to solve it by buying their product, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that just tells us that learning about the science of habit, uh, it's great for sort of fixing things about yourself you don't like. But it can it can be used in a positive way as well. Um, like Daniel, you were saying, you understand the science of habit, so therefore you can sort of use it to bring more people to your platform and audience with the motivation that you're going to help them. Uh, so you can you can use this science in very positive ways as well. Uh, so you know, like any like any science, it's neutral. Be used for good or bad, but the main thing is to learn about it. Mm. Um, so Daniel, we, um, we always give uh, the book that we discuss a sort of grade or mark out of five and say why. Um, Corinne, would you like to um, input? Sure. Yep. So I give this book four out of five bookmarks. Um, so I really like the the motivational aspect, like I said, and I love the idea that if you keep the old cue, uh, keep the old reward, but just insert a new routine, you can change a habit. It makes it feel so simple. So I really like that. I love learning the science and all the interesting case stories. Uh, just, you know, it's everything I look for in a life-changing nonfiction book. Uh, the only reason I take away one bookmark is because I feel like I'm a little habited out. There's just so many habit books. I think we've joked about that on this show before. We've talked about a lot of them. Uh, and sometimes it can be difficult to distinguish one from another. This one doesn't really stand out to me. It, it's a good one, but, you know, there's so many other good ones as well. You know, we've talked about Atomic Habits and, you know, some of the other ones. Uh, so that's the only reason. But other than that, I do recommend it and I enjoy it. So, yeah, Daniel, what do you uh, rate this book? Well, it's I have to give two evaluations. One is for the the way in which he wrote the book. It's 
that's five out of five because I feel that mm -hmm. whoever introduces a habit formation to two million people deserves a whole lot of credit because in the end yep. it's like that's a portal to motivate people to think about how to change, how to be a better person and that's absolutely beautiful. From a scientific standpoint and from a psychological standpoint, I would give this a three out of five because there's so many layers beneath his theories and there's so much more to human human beings. And I feel that he could have done a better job to emphasize like this is a superficial model that we use in order to give you an entry thing to that. Like similar to mm -hmm. physics, right? You're in the, you're in the seventh grade and the the, the, the your science teacher uses the model that you actually understand but he makes mm -hmm. an effort to also say like there's it's much more complicated than that but we are not using that model because you wouldn't understand it so uh, mm -hmm. those would be my two evaluations but lots of gratitude for for this person he has been one of the building blocks of um, me becoming a behavior architect myself I also wrote a book about habits called the behavior kickstarter and without Duhigg I'm not sure that um well, like that I would train people how to change their behavior. So lots of gratitude to this great pioneer in the field. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah, I echo all of that. Um, I, I would just say like from the perspective I came from, sort of motivational self-help uh, literature, um, this book was valuable um, because uh, – I think he includes a, a quote by this American football coach um, who said, champions don't do extraordinary things. They do ordinary things, but they do them without thinking um, and they just follow the habits that they've learned. So I love the idea. He sort of democratizes success and achievement because as long as you can put in place the little building blocks of behavior, your success and achievement sort of takes care of itself. It's almost like you you can't fail if you put in place all the small building blocks of habits. So I just love that approach. Um, and it really makes sense for a lot of people who are skeptical about, um, you know, trying to do great things because they think it's too difficult. But if you, if you break it down into this sort of micro approach, um, I just love that. Um, and, yeah, as a book, uh, I agree, it's very nicely put together um, and fits in brilliantly to this whole field as a foundational book. Um, so I'll, I'll give it four and a half out of five. That's right. So for an update on the uh, the book and the author. So today, Charles Duhigg, um, after, so he published this back in 2012, but since then it has sold over 2 million copies. And he actually won a uh, Pulitzer Prize in 2013 for explanatory reporting for a series on business practices of Apple and other technology companies. Um, recently, he also won a 2020 award uh, by the Business News Visionary, or he won a Business News Visionary Award for Journalism. And his latest bestseller is called Smarter, Faster, Better, The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business. That one was released in 2016. Um, today, he's a writer for The New Yorker magazine, and he lives near me in Santa Cruz, California. So uh, I'll have to see if I can find him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, maybe you'll see him in a fast food restaurant or somewhere. <laughs> uh, no, probably Whole Foods. I'm thinking he's a Whole Foods guy. He's in Santa Cruz, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's great. Um, and also, we have a 10-point uh, memo which sort of summarizes the book uh, in 10 easy points, uh, which you would post in the show notes and on social media. So it, it's a good refresher if you want to sort of go back to some of the key ideas that we've discussed. That's right. So be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Book Insights Pod across all platforms so that you never miss an episode. And Daniel, if uh, people want to connect with you and your work and the great books you've mentioned and the services you provide, what's the best way of connecting with you? Uh, the best way to connect with me is to go to my blog, dianekarim.com. And if you guys are interested in learning how to change your habits, I actually um, created a lot of free tools on my website, a habit builder, a priority mapping system, a future blueprint so that you can use your daily rituals as vehicles that transform you from the person that you are today into the person you would like to be in the future. I also help people to work with them personally. So if you would like me as your uh, behavior architect, you can reach out to me or follow me on Instagram where I do well, a lot of lot of things. And the idea there is that the, the name is D. Daniel Karim. So just Google my name and lots of shit will pop up. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. And um, that's um, uh, also meant to say that um, to listen to the actual book insight as well on the power of habit, because if we go into more depth on some of the examples that we've um, discussed briefly uh, in the book lounge today. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. It was an honor on my side. Thank you for having me. Sure. And thank you all for watching on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, be, sure, be sure to tune in. We've got new books to chat about every Wednesday. So thank you all. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.